We are thankful that you were here. We're thankful for the time that we've had to spend together in worship so far. As always, thankful to those who have led us. Thankful to Don for the, the good songs and the leading of us in those songs. Appreciate uh, Travis's prayer and certainly appreciate Robert's thoughts surrounding the Lord's Supper and our thoughts within those regard. We always appreciate the good job that all of our men do, but thankful for the time we've had to spend together in worship so far. We're thankful to our visitors who are with us today. We have some who I think are first-time folks visiting with us, but um, some who are not quite first-timers but are visiting today, and we're grateful uh, that you have come our way. Hope that you can be back with us at any time as we assemble here together. Great congregation of loving people and enjoy so much uh, being together here and your being with us this morning. Uh, as was said, Gary said in our announcements, our, our screens are not working just yet, but we're working to get them working. Uh, Travis and Heath and, and maybe a few others have been working on that. They ran some new cables, some new wires all the way from the sound booth in the back there up to the front here yesterday in preparation for some new equipment that will be coming in. So we hope to be back up and running again soon, but uh, rest assured they're taking uh, all the steps they can as we wait on that equipment to get here so that we can be back up and running as we usually are. Uh, before we begin, if I could just make one statement again about our Vacation Bible School that will be next Sunday from 1.30 to 4.30. We'd love to have you be a part of it. If you're unsure about being a part of it and maybe helping or leading in some way, we hope that you'll hang around and still come back for our session there from 1.30 to 4.30. We'll have two adult classes meeting. Uh, Jerry Corbin's going to teach uh, for about 45 or 50 minutes and then a break for the adults. And then Charles will teach for about 45 or 50 minutes and a break. And, of course, our kids will be uh, chock full of classes and games and snacks and crafts and all those things. So uh, be, be planning for that. If you have any questions about helping, see Hannah or myself, and we'd love to get you uh, information. But if nothing else, we want you to be here uh, to be a part of that because we're excited about a good afternoon and hope that it's encouraging for all of our young people. If you have your bulletin in front of you with an outline, we will go through that. As I mentioned, the screens a moment ago, but uh, wanted to have an outline for you if you'd like to follow along that way. And we're going to begin this morning with talking about Solomon. Two weeks ago, we were at Bible Camp at McCroy Bible Camp. McCroy Bible Camp, and we had nine classes during the week. We have other sessions of chapel and other times of study together, uh, but Brother Roger Campbell that's put on the camp for 20 years has always done a great job, and he usually gives our kids a little booklet that looks like this. If you've ever studied any Roger's material, he loves to do uh, booklets like this that are either 13 lessons or whatever. We covered nine lessons last week. The title of the book was Solomon, Lessons from His Life and His Sayings. So I know this will be a bit of a repeat for some of our kiddos up front here who are at camp, but I thought it'd be good for us to encourage ourselves, a good topic for us to consider really during both of our services today, and we hope that you can be back with us again at 1.30. If you have an outline in front of you, you notice the title of the lesson this morning is Solomon Had. That's a great way of saying it, to simply think about the fact that Solomon had. Solomon had lots of things. Solomon had lots of stuff. Solomon had lots of ideas. Solomon was just a person that we might say had. He had all kinds of things. You know, when we consider people who have lots of stuff, have lots of things, there may be no better person than Solomon. If we, were to be, if we could go back in time and examine exactly what he had, he would probably be top of the list of anybody that we could have even imagined today or even going backwards towards the time of Solomon. 
It happened to come to my mind just a little bit ago. I don't know how many of you remember, in the late 80s and uh, mid-80s to mid-90s, there was a TV show uh, that was on television that was titled Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Some of you may remember that. There was a man by the name of Robin Leach who was uh, the host of that. I may be dating myself here. I don't know. These kids are looking at me like I'm crazy. Uh, but there was a TV show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And if, if you remember that or remember that, think about that kind of idea uh, of promoting the wealth and the stuff of the world, I think Solomon would be up there if we thought about him in the same way. He had. He had more than we could probably ever imagine. And one thing we noticed at camp, one thing that we emphasized for our young people was that Solomon had a good beginning in his life. And we're going to talk about a little bit of that, but he had a good beginning. He had a good start. Now, the finish, eh, not so great when it came to Solomon's life. But he certainly had a good beginning. We so are encouraged by our young people up here at the front and them being together and the encouragement that they give to us. We are trying to give to them a good beginning in life, a good beginning as a Christian. Solomon had that. I ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 2 because the first thing we would notice, and if you have your outline in front of you, Solomon had the formula for success. The formula for success is simply to walk in God's ways. To walk in God's ways. If you're still there in 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, Solomon said, Or now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he, excuse me, David speaking, charged Solomon, saying, Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways. To keep his statutes, to his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Notice in verse 4, that the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, David says, saying, if your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul. He said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Solomon is told by David, David has been told by God to serve, to follow God with all your heart and your soul. We emphasize quite often how thankful we are to serve a God who does not change. And he has not changed in some ways in which he has given us instructions. It's always been that we are to serve God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's always been his instructions. Yes, the way that he wants worship, the acceptable kind of worship, the way that we are saved may be different than it was in the Old Testament, but so many things are the same about our all-powerful, all-loving God. He demands our all, and we see that even here with Solomon. Solomon had the formula for success. Walk in the ways of God, and you will be blessed. Now, table that. Put a pin in it because we're going to come back to it, of course, in a few moments as we conclude the lesson. But let's notice a few other things. There are some W words if you have your outline in front of you. The first one would be wealth. Let's notice Solomon had wealth. If you have your Bible there to 1 Kings, let's go to chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10 and notice that Solomon truly had lots of wealth. If your Bible has headings, my begin, mine begins in verse 14 with a heading of Solomon's great wealth. Notice verse 18. In verse 18, his throne is made out of ivory and gold. Pure gold is what his throne is made out of. Notice in chapter 10 and verse 21 
that all of his drinking vessels were made out of gold, pure gold. Chapter 22, or excuse me, chapter 10, verses 22 and 23, that his riches were more than everyone else. He surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom, verse 23. And even notice in chapter 10 and verse 27 that the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. Can you imagine that just like the rocks that we have out in front of our building or the rocks that you may have in your driveway, that you have that much silver that you might as well just toss it on the ground like a stone because you've got that much wealth available to you. Solomon truly was wealthy. And as we know, there's nothing inherently sinful with that. We have a room here full of people and we probably vary on the spectrum of wealth. Some who may have not as much and some who have plenty and everyone kind of in, in, anywhere in between that. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. Solomon had wealth. In fact, go backwards to chapter 10 or the first part of chapter 10 and notice that we see a demonstration of this even as the queen of Sheba shows up to see all that he had. And even in verse 7 of chapter 10, she tells him that the half was not told to her of his wealth and his wisdom. She is amazed at what he has. And again, I think we would just say if we were to, to look across the globe even today and examine a, a rich person, an athlete, a movie star's home and their cars and all that they had, it probably would not be the half of what Solomon had here. But what did the queen of Sheba say there in verse 7? His wealth and his wisdom. Point number two, of course, there is that Solomon not only had wealth, but he had wisdom. He had wisdom. Now, go back to 1 Kings chapter 3, because here's where we read about Solomon's great wisdom. And if you think of Solomon, we may think of his wealth, but we also think of his wisdom, of his good understanding. In 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 5, it is at Gibeon that the Lord first appears to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? Solomon had a great choice at this time. Here's the question we ask our young people at camp, and I have a feeling your answer is different. Question, if we ask you this morning, what would be one thing that you could ask for? What would it be? You know, the joke is uh, maybe world peace. You know, we'd, we'd ask for world peace. Somebody would ask for money, for millions of dollars, for great wealth. Some people might ask for something more appropriate, maybe that there's no more sickness or, or something like that. But what would it be if we were able to ask for one thing? Think about it. All throughout our literature, in our history, there are, there are stories of people who had the opportunity to ask. We think about movies where there's a genie and a lamp and you rub the lamp and a genie comes out and says, I'll give you whatever you ask for. God appears to Solomon and says, ask. What would we ask for? Solomon, of course, beginning in verse 6 then, is going to ask for wisdom. Verse 6 and 7, he's going to ask for good understanding. Verse 9, an understanding heart. And God was pleased with the request of Solomon. And we notice in verse 12 that he grants it. That he's going to grant exactly what God, what, what God, God's going to grant exactly what Solomon has asked for. So not only did Solomon have great wealth, but he had great wisdom. 
How do we know that? We'll go forward in chapter 3 and look at beginning in verse 16. You know this story, right? I always think about it. I had a boss that worked at the steel company I worked for before I started here full-time. I had a boss that even used this one time as an example. I don't remember the, great, the exact context, but he used as an example. Remember King Solomon and the baby, right? We remember this demonstration of his wisdom beginning in verse 16 where there are two mothers and two babies to begin with. But only one baby the next morning, as a mother has rolled over one and, and killed it in its sleep, as they were sleeping, they come before Solomon and ask what to do. And I, I love as you read that, I hope that you pay attention and maybe even go back and read these passages sometime. But notice in verse 22, really 21, the woman tells the story, verse 22, the other woman said no. Then the first woman said no, and thus they spoke before the king. What does that mean? I think it means exactly what you just read. No, but I won't. No, but I won't. No, but I won't. Back and forth, just like our children do sometimes when you can't get them to be quiet and say, just listen. Just listen for a minute. They're just going back and forth. No, it's mine. No, it's mine. I won't. I won't. And they're going before Solomon, and he has a chance to show great wisdom. And he does, we know in hindsight, but put yourself in the shoes of either one of those two mothers or someone in the court when he says... Bring me a sword, and we're going to cut the baby in half. And, of course, the mother of the baby says, no, I want the baby to live. The other woman, do you remember in verse 26, the other woman says, go ahead. Go ahead and cut the baby in half. He knows exactly then what to do. And so he, gives the, he says to give the baby to the first woman because she is his mother. Solomon had great wealth, but Solomon also had great wisdom. Now, if you have an outline in front of you, you notice there's some W words because they all kind of flow naturally. But I wanted to interject one here because when we think about the life of Solomon and lessons that we can learn, Solomon also had peace. He also had peace. In chapter 4 and verse 24, we see that Solomon had peace on every side around him. All around him, Solomon had peace. Do you know what a lot of people do when they look at the Old Testament? A lot of people look back at the Old Testament and all they say is that God is full of hate or God is evil. God killed people. He, there was just war all the time. But don't forget that Solomon enjoyed peace all around him here in 1 Kings chapter 4. Not only that, but go back, back to verse 21 of chapter 4 and notice that the size of the territory of the children of Israel was the largest that it had ever been in their history. Solomon is not only reigning in peace, he's reigning over the largest mass of land that they've ever enjoyed at one time there. And it was because of David's work. His father David had done the warring. He had done the work. He had done the conquering. He had done the fighting. And now Solomon is able to enjoy peace. If you're open there, notice in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, that as Solomon is preparing to build the temple, and he's having this interaction with Hiram, king of Tyre, that it says in verse 3, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because he, or excuse me, because of the wars which were fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. But, but now the Lord, my God, has given me rest on every side. Solomon is able to enjoy peace because of the work that David had done. David had conquered the surrounding areas. He was a man of war. 
but then his son is able to have peace and to have rest. Now, the main point of noticing this is to then realize that Solomon was able, then because of the peace, to build God this great and beautiful temple. This wonderful, lavish, just great building for God, this temple, Solomon is able to build it. David wanted to, if you remember your history, David wanted to build that temple and God said, you can't do it. You will not be allowed to do it because of the fighting you have done. Solomon, your son, will do it. And Solomon builds something with that wealth that is unimaginable. Uh, The only example that we have to kind of compare it, do you recall that after the children of Israel are taken away into captivity, they come back, and we've already encouraged our young people, they're going to begin studying Ezra and Nehemiah soon as we think about lads to leaders in the Bible Bowl next year. They're going to begin studying those books. But as the children of Israel then come back, and rebuild the temple, and they rebuild the wall, when there's the dedication of it, there are tears. There's crying as this temple is rebuilt. Why is that? Because all the older people remembered the first temple and how wonderful it was. And while we're thankful it's rebuilt, it wasn't what Solomon had done. That's how great that it was. But it was only because of the peace that Solomon had that he was able to then build that temple. He had wealth. He had wisdom, and yes, he also enjoyed peace, but he also had, one more W word there if you have your bulletin in front of you, he also had wives. Now, there may be a joke here that I'm going to stay away from about peace and wives. I'm not going to go there this morning in the lesson, and whether he had peace while he had many wives, but that's, you know, somebody else more better than me may be willing to make that. But he also had wives. Now, if you have your Bible, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 1. And notice a very innocuous statement. Uh, just very simple, right? First Kings chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh king of Egypt and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Now, again, I said innocuous. Just very simple statement, right? Even as Robert said, and I say it from time to time, Appreciate him mentioning it. But it's very easy just to blow right by a verse. Not even think about it. Because it just mentions he took a wife. She was Pharaoh's daughter. Okay? Now go over to chapter 11. Chapter 11 in verse 1. And we see a not so innocuous statement. But King Solomon loved many foreign women. As well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Women of Moab, of the Moabites, the Ammonites, Edom, Edomites, the Syrians, and the Hittites. And notice even going down to verse number 3. We are familiar with the numbers that are listed there. 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. We know those numbers. You see, one of the lessons that we emphasized for our young people last week was that a good start does not guarantee a good finish. A good beginning does not guarantee a good ending. A good beginning does not guarantee that one will continue to serve God faithfully. We're familiar with Solomon's problems. And they begin with his marriage or marriages to these foreign women. Because notice at the end of verse number 3, I stopped if you were following along. And his wives turned away his heart go to verse 4 for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and just to be sure 
to ensure that we have the description, that we know exactly what God is saying, he finishes out, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. And here's the comparison, as was the heart of his father David. Are we unsure about Solomon at this point? Did Solomon have a good beginning? Yes, he did. He asked for wisdom. He served God, but he didn't have a good finish or a good ending. Solomon's mistake was a heart problem. That's what Solomon's problem was. Now, here's the thing. Like always, God has always known what is best. I made the joke about wives, and, and we can talk about multiple wives as they sometimes had in the Old Testament. But, but what did God say about all these things that we've talked about already when it comes to this idea of what Solomon had? Let me ask you to hold your place there, if you would, and go back to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. God says here to his chosen people, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, Skip on down to verse 2. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Verse 3. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me. To serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Now you can go back to 1 Kings chapter 11 and you already see where we're going because God has the ability, the opportunity, if He wanted to, if He was that kind of God, to say, I told you so. I know what's best. As Robert said, and I think was taught this morning in class, Isaiah 55 and verse 8. His ways are better than our ways. Most people would turn their nose up and say, well, that's not very nice. To say that we shouldn't marry certain people, God shouldn't say something like that. But we've seen it time and time again. Whether it was someone you know, whether it was a friend of yours, whether it was your own child or even you, it's stated again in the New Testament, evil company Evil companions corrupt good habits or good morals. God knows what he is doing. And when he says to separate yourself from evil ways, he knows exactly why that is. Because it will drag you down. It will pull you into the muck and the mire and the sin. Stay away from those kinds of people. Solomon had a great beginning. He had the wisdom and the wealth. But he allowed his wives to turn his heart away from the Lord. And he has problems. Solomon had. Solomon had a lot, as we've already noticed. But with his wives turning his heart away, he gave it up. And you may notice in your outline as we finish, he forgot God's conditional promise. God's conditional promise. What was God's conditional promise? Well, if you're filling in the blanks there, that he will dwell. God's conditional promise is that he will dwell among his people. That sounds like a great deal, right? God dwelling among his people. That doesn't sound like a promise, though, or a conditional promise. He will dwell among his people who keep his 
commands. Conditional. I want to be with you. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. But the condition is that you keep my commands. He will dwell among his people who keep his commands. Turn with me to one more passage there in 1 Kings chapter 9. 1 Kings chapter 9. God appears to Solomon a second time, as he had done in chapter 3 at Gibeon. In chapter 9, he, he, he presents himself again, appears to Solomon a second time, and he makes this conditional promise that he keeps. And while it is not the exact same promise, he keeps that same promise to us today. Look at verse 4 of chapter 9. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father, saying you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But, there's that word, but, if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods, <coughs> excuse me, and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and this house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And he goes down through verse 9, giving similar ideas. And here's the deal. Guess what? God keeps his promises. Within just a few hundred years, the temple is brought down. All that work that Solomon had done, all that he had is brought down as they go into captivity because they were not faithful to him. They did not keep his word. The simple conditional promise is he will dwell among his people who keep his commands. And I told you a moment ago, but it still sort of applies to us today. I, I mean, it does, not in maybe the same way as he's speaking to Solomon. But do you remember in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, the Hebrew writer would say, Brethren... Beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. Notice, still talking about the heart. Brethren, beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in what? Watch it. In departing from the living God. Separating yourself from him. <clears throat> it doesn't matter if you have wisdom. It doesn't matter if you have wealth. It doesn't matter if you even have peace in your life. I hope that you have a peaceful life, but it doesn't matter if you even have peace. It doesn't matter if you have a happy marriage. In a sense, if you're doing all of that separate from God. We have to walk in the ways of God and keep his commands. This afternoon, we're going to come back and look at how Solomon kind of sums all this up for us very succinctly. But like Solomon, we can have a great start and not a great finish. Did Solomon stay that way? Did he have a good start and stay faithful to the end? Well, obviously not. And like I said, if you'll come back this afternoon, we're going to talk about Ecclesiastes. Do you remember that Ecclesiastes at the very end, it seems like Solomon has come back around. <coughs> it seems like that he had a good start, had some mess up, but he comes back around to realizing that we have to be faithful to God. Here's the thing. As you put your Bibles up, get your songbook out if you'd like to do that. Here's the thing, Solomon had. Solomon had whatever he desired, but it didn't change the formula for success that we talked about at the beginning. 
to walk in the ways of God. As we conclude this lesson, you may be here and not be walking in the ways of God. You may be here and not following his commands. As we're about to sing in just a moment, it is the cross. It is the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross that makes it possible for us to be faithful to God and to have the hope of a home in heaven with him for all eternity. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, we'll be singing to encourage you that you would put Christ on in baptism, allowing his blood to wash away your sins so that you can walk in newness of life. It's the best feeling in the world. It's the greatest commitment that a person can make. He will then add you to his church and you get to keep that good feeling because you're surrounded by brothers and sisters who love you and care for you and who would do anything for you. Part of doing things for each other, though, is praying for one another. If you're here this morning and you're a child of God, you're a Christian, but you've wandered away, we would be singing to encourage you as well, that you might come back to him, that you might admit if there's sin in your life so that you can have that removed and you can be faithful to God again. You can walk in the light as he is the light and you can have that hope, you can have that peace that even Solomon had for a time. But that peace only comes from being right with God. If you need to get right with God by either becoming a Christian or coming back to him, we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.